So Tom, we're going to watch our first Doctor Who together. Now, which one would you like to watch? Would you like to watch this one with Tom Baker? Or would you like to watch this one with John Pertwee? Oh, this is going to get a lot harder than I thought. I need some help. Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to episode 29 of Nerdology, sponsored by CSO The Cult Fanzine. And my guests today are, in no particular order, Deb Stanish, Ben Schneider, and Lee Rawlings. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi. How's it going? What, oh. all three? <laughs> <laughs> Deb first, go well, on, Deb. Quite well. I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. sunny morning. I'm not used to recording this early in the morning because... On, I'm on sorry, our... we dragged you out of bed. No, it's... Oh, I'm up. I'm a parent. Of course I've been up since, you know, 5.30, <laughs> actually. Um, no, but because of our... Um, the geographical locations of all of mm. our contributors, we do tend to make things later in the evening so it's kind of nice yeah. I, I feel very refreshed i don't know oh, if that's, that's a good, good thing or a bad thing though i'm sure that'll that'll make a huge difference to our podcast <laughs> so the reason we got together is this ben was the person who came up with the idea for this this episode mm. and the idea yes. is that guilty uh ben is going to become a dad later this year I am. congratulations hey. ben I am. congratulations oh wow and you you have certain well, not reservations, but you're, you're obviously worried about how best to bring up your child and and how to make sure that they appreciate nerdy things, but without possibly becoming some kind of hmm. Ian Levine type. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure oh, Ian yeah. Levine's mother loved him very much. No, well, yes. well, you, you know, so. well, like, well, okay, Mark, uh, we had been e- emailing, and you had been sending mm-hmm. me photos of your uh, of your lovely child, Tom. And I had been telling you how my wife and I, had, we had been trying to mm-hmm. have a kid now for a couple of uh, years. And I guess those baby photos that you sent us just sort of unplugged something and then the miracle happened. <laughs> Suddenly I'm going to be a dad in October. Mm-hmm. And I, it really got me thinking because I was looking at my potential child, you know, the baby, mm-hmm. what, what the kid might actually grow up to be. And based on me and uh, my wife, I kind of came to the realization, let's face it, the kid's probably going to grow up to be a geek. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> for example, I own exactly 12 Dalek action figures and I own wow. exactly zero basketballs. So, you know what I mean? But, but then I kind of had this thought. I want to raise a better geek. If he or she is going to be a nerd, I would like to give them the best nerd quality. I, I mean, I want the kind of geek that in 30 years will be working at NASA or at some <laughs> Hollywood special effects house and not be the kind of geek who will be living in my basement. So how do you raise a better geek, basically? That's a really hmm. good question, isn't it? Now, obviously... My little boy's, as we record now, he's approaching five months old. So mm-hmm. I'm not really any much of an expert. So I figured, why not get in two people who've been through this and maybe have a little bit of advice to impart? I mean, one thing I would say before we get going, yeah. uh, just parenting in general, is that everyone will give you advice <laughs> and all that advice will almost certainly conflict with each other. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of it is going with your gut feeling um, as a parent and 
doing what you think is right. No, yeah, but the person, um, but the person giving the advice is always right, Mark. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Deb and Lee, you've both got children of varying ages, so you've possibly been through some of the things that Ben is worrying about. <laughs> Indeed, oh, go I, for it, Debs. Absolutely. Um, uh, well, I have four children, as I have said mm-hmm. repeatedly on on Verity. Um, my youngest is nine. I have a thirteen. She's a girl. I have a thirteen-year-old mm-hmm. daughter. I have a sixteen-year-old son and an eighteen-year-old son who's getting ready to go mm-hmm. off to college this year. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You're going to get so much advice. It's amazing. And you will never be judged so hard in your life as you are judged <laughs> by other parents. Um, everything yeah. really? you do. Oh, no. Every single thing you do from here on out. It's probably not as difficult for men, but definitely for, for women. Um, every choice that you make will be scrutinized and held up and yeah. examined <laughs> as a parent, especially as a mother. Uh, you know, do you work? Do you not work? Do you, mm. What kind of childcare, what kind of food that you're feeding your child, what you're dressing mm. your child in? Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, and you really just have to sort of let all of that go. And like Mark said, really trust, trust your inner voice because when it comes right down mm. to it, I think you know what's best for your own individual child. And I think mm. that even goes uh, so far as how you choose to introduce them to the geek and nerd culture, because mm. there's all sorts of different levels of geekiness and, um, and, and sort of nerdology, uh, you know, to, to, to bring hey, the, the name of the Tommy. podcast right in here. Uh, <laughs> And, and you find that out really early because every single child, it doesn't matter if they're siblings, cousins, they, they, and as much as you think that they're going to be mini yous, they all mm. have their very own and distinct personality. Mm. So a child Wait, who was, I can change that, right? I mean, I can, <laughs> <laughs> I just need to oh, work a little ben. bit harder and, and mold, oh, right? I mean, <laughs> Lee, you can join me in this laughter here. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing hard. <laughs> so, You're right. Yeah. Yeah, but you, yeah, know, you may well, have one he, child who's <laughs> quite ready to watch Doctor Who at the age of four and another yeah. child mm-hmm. who is nowhere near ready to watch, you know, sort of the, the emotional intensity mm-hmm. that goes along with these shows. And that's only something mm-hmm. that a parent can gauge. I mean, I think yeah. you probably yeah. would agree with me in that, Lee. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the interesting thing is, and it's, it's a bit stereotypical, and hopefully I think it's probably changed now, especially in this day and age, is that Holly and Finn, um, you know, Finn is very much into Doctor Who very much into the Marvel superheroes and things like that. Holly couldn't care less. And I have tried to bring her up as a geek, tried to bring her up as a nerd, tried to slowly kind of, you know, give her some kind of inkling that the science fiction world and the fantasy world is actually really quite good for creative um, anythings because she's a singer as well and a, and a writer of songs. So, you know, it's good to kind of read lots of books and do this. She doesn't read any books. I'm a librarian. I'm ashamed. She doesn't, <laughs> uh, she doesn't sit down and watch Doctor Who. She thinks it's all a load of old rubbish. But I keep bringing it back to Christopher Eccleston and Rose where she absolutely adored that first season and she really loved Rose very strong powerful character for her to follow and you know that it was an interesting thing but you're right she has changed she's come away from that and and Finn is definitely more the, the geek but it, it's interesting if I'd have only had one child I'd been thinking oh my god I'm on my own still <laughs> I'm still watching Doctor <laughs> Who on my own okay, uh, alone well, in the middle of the here's night here's a weird question you, you said that she's not embracing the two two of the biggest loves in in your life i.e reading and doctor who yeah is this a form of teenage rebellion (laughs) question mark um i i genuinely think she has no interest at all i mean well i think the thing is interestingly she was uh let's just 
throw music into the mix. She was very much into her pop music, the X Factor and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But whatever I did, I couldn't mm-hmm. steer her away. That was the zeitgeist. Every girl was into that in Britain. So virtually, yeah. you know, you, every Saturday night I had to sit and watch the X Factor. It was, it was terminally dull um, and painful, but I See, had to I, do it. I, I go back to my childhood and I think... I remember thinking to myself, oh, I'm never going to be like my parents. I'm never going to say, oh, that's a load of rubbish. <laughs> but you do. <laughs> I, I just yeah. have that feeling it's going to happen. You really, really do. But it is. Uh, but, you know, we all see it for what it is, uh, a big mm. machine that makes money. And, yeah. you know, for Holly, to her, it's glitter. It's, it's fantasy. It's her escape. And she writes mm. music and songs so she can apply that. Um, Very well. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, um, wait, 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 wait. Glitter? Escape? That's exactly what my dad said about <laughs> Star Wars and Doctor Who when I was a kid. And I think as, and as a parent, you have to understand that, you know, that's a fandom in and of itself. It's not a fandom yes. that you enjoy and it's not a fandom yes. that oh, you point. like. But, but she, has, she has her own, you know, her own circle. She has found her own tribe. And as a parent, you have to learn to respect that and not yeah, sort of... Yeah, you have to encourage that as well. Yeah, oh. and you, you know, you sort of can't yeah. scoff it off as sometimes nah. the things that we enjoyed as children were scoffed off by other people and, and mm-hmm. you know, try to be as understanding. You know, I have the opposite... Um, well, maybe a little bit of a similar story in that my two older boys were voracious readers. I mean, the apple did not fall far from the tree there. And mm-hmm. my my daughter, who is now 13, had to do book little book reports when she was in first and second grade. <laughs> and every single book report ended with, it was all right, but reading's not for me. I mean, every mm. single book report that she did. <laughs> and mm. I was, I, it just, it broke my heart. I could not mm. interest this girl in reading. And I was thinking mm. of all the wonderful, you know, women's children literature that I yeah. could have introduced her to. Yeah. And it wasn't until she found something that interested her, which turned out yeah. to be the Harry Potter novels and then the Divergent mm. and the Hunger Games and those sort of dystopian mm-hmm. teen things that are so hot right now that she became a voracious reader so it wasn't yeah i couldn't apply the things that i loved on to her so we could have the shared experience i had to wait for her to discover what mm. she was interested in and then share in her experience i think it's become a bit of a cliche over here in the uk kids that sort of grew up at the same sort of time as me and lee i think a lot of boys got really into reading through the doctor who target books yeah mm-hmm. definitely whereas they may not necessarily have been that interested in reading mm. I think you're right. You've you've got these different uh, variations of styles of story, um, and there's something for everyone. But it's it's finding that niche that the child well, really likes. You can't impose your likes on someone no, else. No, you you can kind of um, by osmosis just get them <laughs> in touch with it. You know, you can yeah. play things in the background. I mean, I will I will touch on music one more last time, but and then I'll move on a bit. But the, um, for instance, Holly loves the pop stuff. She loved she loved One Direction <laughs> and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> but when she was playing her acoustic guitar, she was realizing after a while how easy those songs were. She could fall down the mm. stairs with her guitar and write the next One Direction song. They're that easy. <laughs> um, but you maybe you, you know, should push her in that direction, get a little college <laughs> money. Maybe, like, I should sometimes. I tell you. But uh, no, I, by osmosis, I've been playing lots of other stuff. I mean, acoustic based kind of alternative country, a uh, bit of rock, bit of anything a bit of synth pop anything mm. just in the background that had a really strong melody and she has been picking up and her style has changed and she's starting to appreciate what i listen to and why i've listened to it and instead of looking at me as an old man going oh stop playing that rubbish she understands why these particular bits of music are so important and uh, you know it, it, it's it, that that's how that's a good way of doing it is by doing it very slowly and like you say deb's being very patient and waiting 
and waiting for them to turn around and go, oh, actually, yeah, reading is good, isn't it? Or, oh, yeah, that song is great. So patience is a virtue, especially with <laughs> girls, I think, <laughs> and geeks. <laughs> I'll write that down. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. It, well, yeah, pa- definitely patience and definitely exposure to a vi- wide variety of things because, you know, yeah. as, as as geeks, we tend to mm. be narrowly focused on those things that we love and we love passionately. Um, mm. And coming to the conclusion that your children are not mini-use uh, can be a little jarring at times. But then <laughs> once you sort of expose them to a lot of different things, including the things that you love, and you're, and you're hoping that something is going mm-hmm. to catch their attention, and even if it's something that you are not remotely interested in. Amusingly, my boys were not really interested in playing sports. They all sort of gave it a go with softball mm-hmm. or, or t-ball and then baseball and basketball mm-hmm. and everything. But it, they never stuck with it and never really interested in My two girls are voracious. I mean, they belong to every team they could possibly belong to. They really <laughs> enjoy getting out there and doing mm-hmm. that. And it's not something mm-hmm. as, a, as that I did as a child. I could have not cared less about you know, running, running a base or kicking a ball, but it's something that mm-hmm. they enjoy. So, you know, we encourage that because they like it. We're certainly not pushing them in any direction, but it, it's a level of exposure that I probably would not have uh, thought that I would be sitting at a softball fields, you know, three nights a week at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's what you do as a parent and yeah. let them find their own path a little bit. And that's... I mean- that's an interesting thing if we could throw that over to um ben um and mark to say you know obviously that you want to bring your kids up loving doctor who and science fiction but what happens if they do go off in the direction that they want to play basketball or they want to go and play soccer Mm -hmm. uh instead and it's like yeah you know sci-fi is okay but i'm really into sport well i'm gonna cry myself to sleep every night (laughs) (laughs) well my wife amy likes to um remind me of how i've told her that because i'm a football fan. Uh, I don't know how what? many geeks are football fans. I don't know. It sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. I've got an it's explanation like you can't for that. Both. You're like an uh, ambassador from two different cultures, aren't you? You're, oh, yeah. you're well, kind of bridging <laughs> the. But you know, it's it's funny because here in the states, you know, the so- mm-hmm. we don't call it the football; it's the soccer. That tends to be a geekier sport than any of the other sports, which are mm, much definitely. more machismo. So here in the stage, you know, if you're a soccer fan, that ties really nice into comic book culture yeah. and everything mm. else. Where I don't think it's that way in the UK or in Europe. No, well, it isn't. well, my my dad likes Liverpool, um, and at a quite a young age, I decided that I wanted to support Everton, who are their <laughs> city rivals. Um, and she's made it quite clear that it could very possibly happen again which would be heartbreaking for me. What they... She's suggesting he might end up being a Liverpool fan. <laughs> I'll make sure of it, Mark. <laughs> no. No. Well, he's rebelling against Dad. That's what kids do, apparently. Yeah. So. Well, hey, Absolutely. getting back to what, to what um, Deb and Lee was saying about letting your kid find his own way, all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, my my uh, wife was uh, telling me how um, whenever she was growing up, whenever whenever she was a kid, she gravitated towards fantasy books and some science fiction TV TV shows. But mm-hmm. but she never was told that it was geeky or nerdy to mm-hmm. uh, like those things. And it was and it was later on when she got into junior high or or, or so that she started hearing the terms geek and nerd being having having this negative kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, vibe to it. And I, I wonder if part of it is if a kid is grown up not knowing that, hey, I probably shouldn't get into this because it's not really cool. You know, you know, I'm, I'm mm. sure that that helps. I mean, what, t- I mean even are- within sort of nerdy 
um, fan culture. You've got particularly, mm. you know, my our shared experience is Doctor Who. Uh-huh. You've got that kind of perceived fan wisdom where some fans will tell you, no, you shouldn't like that, you should like this. Um, so it's even goes down to that sort of macro level within the fandom. Um, but again, I suppose it goes back to letting them find their own way. But I think you probably stand more chance of getting them interested if you adopt Lee's approach of sort of the osmosis of trying to sort of gently guide them rather than saying, you'll like this, you'll like this. Yeah, I mean, making it kind of cool is something that Doctor Who's done very well. And I'm really proud Mm. of the series for making geek chic, basically. Um, yeah. You know, it, it has. It's made a lot of people kind of stand up and go, "Oh, I don't mind being." Do you know what? In the in the early days, in the nineteen eighties, here in the UK, I don't know whether you got Doctor Who magazine in the early eighties or it came later, but mm-hmm. we would be walking around. I think Mark probably agree uh, with Doctor Who magazine tucked firmly into a bag or in a paper bag. You would yeah. not be reading it on the bus because it's simply... you'd hide it inside your copy of the Radio yeah, Times. You and you know, be blatantly our... showing it off. exactly. And we had greasy hair and we were slightly overweight. We had glasses. That, that's how nerds. And Speak geeks, yourself, Lee. Geeks were, <laughs> were, were looked at uh, <laughs> through uh, other people's eyes, basically. Um, but no, we've moved a long way since then. And uh, we've been to lots of conventions. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've seen how the younger generation have, have embraced things like manga and anime and all the things that is very fat popular culture now um you know the great things like the big bang theory they've kind of all made it very acceptable to be a geek we still get you know people still get picked on for for being like that but i keep reminding my son that if he ever ever gets bullied or told that he's he's a geeky weirdo um you just turn around and say well a geek made your phone mate um a geek made that game you've been playing angry birds Mm. you know these geeks these so-called people that get laughed at and prodded they are ruling the world the geeks have inherited the earth my friend so <laughs> you know you just have to kind of um, turn around and say you know that's that's what your, your every piece of technology you have in your hand is from some kind of geek mentality mm-hmm. so uh, you know stand back and just be careful what you're saying and, don't and I think a, we've definitely don't, and don't kick in, a football in my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've definitely entered into an era, at least in, in my observations, where um, you know all those people that were picked on twenty years ago are now controlling the websites and mm. they're controlling the yeah. media and they're controlling the technology. And all of exactly. a sudden, you know, they're at the top of the heap. They're at the you know, top yeah. of the food mm. chain, and it is no longer. It's no longer as derogatory, at least here in the States, and particularly uh, in the more urban area. I'm outside of Philadelphia, which is you know, sort of big city. Comic book mm-hmm. culture is really cool. San Diego mm-hmm. Comic-Con is an event that is covered oh, in huge, mainstream it? media. It's, you know, we still get the, oh, look at these people dressing up, but that's really sort of lessening, and it's become mm-hmm. uh, people are recognizing the creativity and the intelligence that sort of surrounds the geek community, and it's... Yeah. It's well, no longer, I don't think it's no longer really the thing that people are shamed over as much. I think also it's far more accessible for kids these days. I mean, when we were growing up in the sort of late 70s, 80s, certainly me and Lee, you guys are obviously far younger than us. <laughs> um, you know, you were restricted. You didn't have VHS even when we were quite young. So you were sort of restricted to books and yeah. and you yeah. know, live TV. Whereas now, you know, everything's at your fingertips. Mm. Right. You can really investigate lots of different things and find your kind of niche that way and this is what would be interesting to see what happens with your kids um um, mark and ben because you know eventually obviously everything is on the internet now uh you you, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have believed it uh, that how much we have at our fingertips and now we're at that kind of 
place with the teenagers where they expect everything at their fingertips, everything. Mm-hmm. And we don't know where that's going to go next, but popular culture and sci-fi and Doctor Who and all this sort of thing has suddenly blossomed and spread and become so much more acceptable. And you go onto Facebook pages and you see hundreds of thousands of people liking a Doctor Who page, whereas in the 70s we just assumed it was me uh, and, yeah. and the cat watching Doctor Who and possibly, <laughs> you know, matey down the road who I'd talk to behind a tree so we didn't get beaten up by the bullies. Um, that's pretty much what it was like. But now, you know, it's kind of like some great connection with the rest of the world, which actually makes it okay to be into what you're into. And that, I think that's great freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it's, as a parent, too, it is a little concerning just how accessible everything is on oh, yeah. the internet. Yeah, good and bad. And that's something that, you know, it's only a decision that individual parents can can make for their child. I'm, mm. I'm not... I have only had positive encounters through my life on the internet since I started. So I am definitely not um, an advocate of strangling that uh, and putting a lot of parental controls on. But, you know, you do have to have conversations with your children. Where mm. are they going? How are they engaging online? Uh, my 13-year-old daughter, who has since become, you know, fangirl junior in my house, huge, <laughs> huge Doctor Who fan, uh, has a, a billion followers on Instagram because all she doesn't post personal photos, but she's always regramming, they call it, uh, fan mm-hmm. photos and, you know, cute little gifts that have been made. Um, you know, we have to have conversations all the time about how you conduct yourself, what personality are you putting out there, how traceable yeah. are you, mm. because, you know, we live in a culture where the college that you're going to and the employers that you're going to have at some point are going to, you know, they're going to Google you and they're going to find out what you have done. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm. how you conduct yourself in online forums, how you react when people are not nice to you, because that certainly mm. happens, especially to women on the Internet. Um, you know, it's all sort of it opens up a whole new avenue avenue of parenting that I didn't anticipate having to deal with when I had children. Um, Mm. But it's one I think I feel particularly equipped to have um, because of my own experiences. And I think that is a benefit that a lot of parents who may have geek children who are not in the geek culture have no way to prepare themselves for. I myself am a manager. And one day, I haven't done it yet, I I will be employing people and having to interview them. Um, I don't think it's legal actually to go and kind of ride through people's past, but actually it, it can make it, it could make a difference, I suppose, in the future. Uh, maybe it does yeah. already, I don't know. But anyway, it just would be interesting to see if I had two candidates one who was at a few budget tattoos and like football, and then on the other side, there was a guy wearing a wizard's hat. I mean, I'd probably employ him. Thanks, Lee. That's all right. Just so you know, in the future, if you want to apply for a job, you've got it, Mark. That's right. Post a picture of yourself. I'm, I'm the guy with the tattoos and the football shirt. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, I, I had some um, questions, uh, particularly like things that I didn't have to worry about whenever I was a kid, which I'm, I guess I'm going to have to start thinking about. Like, um, I've been asking this lately, and no one seems to really know, and it's the cell phone question. How mm. how early do you let a kid have a cell phone? Mm. Mm, that's a good question. You know, that's something um, I never had to worry about or my parents never had to worry about. Well, it's a shame they haven't got cell phones that are designed for kids. Um, that have, uh, you know, I, I suppose you can kind of lock things out and all that. But with kids and, say, sneakers, trainers, um, mm. you know, they will go out and they'll buy the best one. If they're addicted to Adidas or whatever, Adidas, they'll go out and buy it um, because that's the in thing. They've got to get the newest one all the time. It's like an obsession. It drains your mum and dad's wallet. With a, with a cell phone, it's, it's, it is that. But obviously everybody 
needs one now. So yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. If they, by the time your kids are old enough, maybe there'll be some kind of child version of a mobile that they will hang around with, or maybe there won't be. It, it is a hard one, you know? That's difficult. 13, we said. Mm-hmm. 13. Yeah, oh, our, really? our okay. role was, well, we did, not really a role, but it was sort of as as the need presented itself. So with my boys who were not involved in sports and we weren't dropping them off places, uh, when they went to high school, they got a phone, which was 13, mm-hmm. 13 and a half going on 14. Yeah. Um, then, but my daughter, who is just turned 13, got a cell phone last year because she was involved in lots of extracurricular activities and we were dropping her off places for sports practices. And, you know, with four children, you can't always sit with each child at each mm-hmm. event. So you sort of, you know, let the coach know that you'll be back to pick them up because you had to then take another child someplace else. So we felt that need a little bit younger, but there's, you know, there's a ton of peer pressure involved too. My daughter's in oh, third yeah. grade. Um, she's nine. Many mm. of her classmates not only have phones, but they have smartphones, which I, yeah. I think is ridiculous. At, at that right. age, they need a phone that they can call yeah. to have somebody pick them up or in case of emergency. They do not need to have Internet access 24-7 because that is so prevalent um, elsewhere that you know, they don't you need know. to have it in their pocket. But, you know, Mark and I are just starting off, and in nine years, the world may have changed to the point where our kids that are in nursery school have to have cell phones, maybe. You, you're I don't absolutely know. right. I mean, my, daughter is, uh, my, when my daughter enters high school, the high school that she is contemplating, she has not yet decided, we, and we have not yet decided where she's going in high school. Um, the one school that we are seriously considering, one of their requirements is you have an iPad. You have to have an iPad. Wow. That, is part, that is part of your uh, school supply list because so much of what they do is, is done through <laughs> some um, smart boards and the, yeah, the iPads are linked right into the smart boards. So presentations and projects that they're doing are just you mm-hmm. know, sent oh, right wow. from their iPads through a Bluetooth. So, and this oh is not God. something that my boys had to deal with in their high school mm-hmm. experience. So who knows by the time your children you know, start school, it, they may have a chip implanted. Who knows? I, mean, I used yeah. a shovel and a piece of chalk and it was fine for me. What the hell? An iPad, really? Yeah. Like, yeah. like they don't even give alternatives for a for a cheaper pad. Nope. It has to be the Apple no. product. Wow. Has to be oh, Apple iPad, thirty two gigabyte mm. minimum. Oh. Wow. Support. Are they yeah. sponsored? I mean, I went to a primary school. school. Sorry, Mark. What? Sorry, I was going to say I went to primary school in a very small village, um, which was yeah, it's a very basic Church of England primary school. Um, I went back there only a few years ago because I was working in a job where I was supplying technical stuff. And it's like NASA. <laughs> yeah, they've got interactive whiteboards. They do all their homework by email. Mm-hmm. They all have their own web page. It's quite scary. It, it does make sense because the world's moved on. And that's what, like I said earlier, that's what they've grown up with. So they're expecting it. And if it makes them uh, intelligent and clever, that that's great. But mm. it is a shame because when we... I do worry whether their handwriting suffers oh, it does. because they're using keyboards all the time. Yeah, it does. Mine has as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, you know, when we get that huge solar flare that knocks out all the electricity in the world, then, you know, we'll be the ones that can they'll be coming to. They'll be coming to me for the shovel and chalk. Yeah. yeah that's right. Right. I can make fire with a box of matches. Yeah, the big thing, a big thing here in the States is a lot of school districts, a lot of school states mm-hmm. are no longer mandating that you teach cursive writing. Right. What's that? Which used to be a, just a, you know, it was a part Fancy. of the curriculum. Oh, I uh, sorry. Cursive, I cursive is uh, where all of the letters have uh, joined up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I misheard you. As opposed to printing. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you said printing. 
sorry, I thought you said cursor. Cursive, Um, which, you know, astonishes me. That was just a rate of passage. You know, you learn how to write in cursive as opposed to, you know, your little scrolling block print. But they're, you know, people Mm. aren't writing anymore. They just aren't. Mm. Everything, uh, everything is there's so many schools that don't even have textbooks that the kids bring home because all the course materials Mm. are online. All of their homework is submitted online. Projects are done through Google Docs. Um, It really is. It's astonishing how fast technology is changing. And you're right. The kids are keeping up with that. And, you know, what, it's difficult for parents who are not technically savvy to sort of oh, keep a, a hand on what's happening. I'm, I'm um, going to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy who's like, back in my day, we had to, oh, jeez. Oh, no. You're lucky. You've got a friend, Dave, who's who's the Apple expert. So you're okay. You've got someone on your side. Oh, well, he's had some problems with them lately. That's a different conversation. Oh. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one one thing that strikes me with all this whole talk of you know how things have moved on, how everything's become digital and it's all going that way. I was really stunned to walk through over here in the UK. We have a chain of bookstores called Waterstones, mm-hmm. and right there, mm-hmm. front and centre in their um, display window, was the very hungry caterpillar, mm-hmm. which I remember reading. I've never heard of that. When I was mm-hmm. you know a wee nipper, yeah. and they haven't updated it for the twenty first century or the. Images are exactly the same, um, and it's it's still just as popular today, which yeah. really struck me as forty-five yeah, I, I, years. I wonder how you would update that. Would it be like, you know the very hungry computer virus, or, or you know? <laughs> uh, it but, would uh, be... I mean, if you look at the if you look at the, the style of the drawings, it's very much of its time. It looks very kind of sort of sixties, seventies. You thought they might have kind of gone for a more cartoony sort of look to it, but I think that's it. Would be great I think to see if a Marvel, you're update Marvel it, Deb, it would be the very hungry cab- caterpillar who has to make good diet uh, choices and uh, embraces a non-sanitary <laughs> lifestyle. GMS. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, what about the very hungry cab driver? That'd be quite good, wouldn't it? Oh, <laughs> hungry that and sounds angry. like a Doctor Who episode. All right. Well, here's a, que- here's a question that I have. Um, I have for Lee because I have experienced this with my own children, and that yeah. I have introduced them to something that I have loved, and then they have loved it also but they've loved it differently and wrongly. Mm. Um, <laughs> wrongly? And, and, you know, that, that is sort of a special sort of pain that lances your heart because you know, <laughs> you're, you're used to people being wrong on the internet. You're doing it the wrong right. way. Oh, used to that. Your and kids to can't be, be anonymous. That's the problem, right? Yeah. They can't so here be it anonymous is. It's, it's living in your house. People that okay. have very differing mm-hmm. fanish opinions about, and, and you both deeply love the, the source, but you come at it from different ways. Have you had okay. that experience, Lee? Uh, yeah, I mean, wrongly. I'm not sure about loving it wrongly. I think he... <laughs> I, mean, I know what you mean, though. Um, yeah. I, I use that we, term in jest. Yeah, the <laughs> thing is, I've always said to Finn, to be honest, because the whole thing about Doctor Who, for instance, which is a brilliant place to start, I don't know if Trekkie fans are like this, but Doctor Who fans completely understand that a lot of the episodes in the old days look shoddy, they look terrible, um, and a lot of the dialogue was a bit hokey, and it was all a bit cheesy. Some of it was absolute genius, as we know, but a lot of it just looks... A little bit dated and not very, not very, not very good, really. So he would watch those and laugh, and I would explain to him why they're like they were. And so he got a real holistic view of the old classic stuff. And then when he looked at the new stuff, or when he started really getting into the new stuff, it was he had something to kind of, you know, he, he could compare and contrast. And he would always goad me and say, "Oh yeah, it's a bit like the Merca, isn't it?" and all this sort of thing. But um, <laughs> generally speaking, between us, we're very honest. So you know, he will like a certain episode. I think 
I'm trying to think of an example, but I can't at the moment. But um, Love and Monsters probably is a good one. That I really love Love and Monsters, but I can't stand the Absorbalov. But he absolutely loves the Absorbalov. So it's kind of, you know, I'm saying, well, why? Why would you even go there? Just, it's the most terrible thing. You're absolutely (laughs) wrong. But we have this fantastic way of kind of laughing about it. And that's what I've always wanted to have is, um, and I think that's what it is with really good geek communities you can have a good laugh and and you don't want the internet trolls ruining it for you um Mm. and you know you're right with you can have banter and i think that's what's you can disagree but it doesn't have to descend into no it doesn't have to and i think you you have to like you say really appreciate and understand other people's opinions that is such a good lesson that you're kind of inadvertently teaching him about because he's going to get older and he's you know the there may be these conversations in regards to politics, and maybe he's learning that that he can laugh with someone who may have a different point of point of view, and know that yeah. you don't uh, troll people politically because that just leads to, you know, mm. uh, tears ult- ultimately. And uh, that's huh, neat. Yeah. Okay. See, yeah, the, the one thing, in, yeah, the one thing in our house is like you. Everybody can have their own opinion, but you have to be able to articulate why you have that opinion. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, oh, I, Deb, I have Deb, no patience wait, wait. for. I, I got it. You need to tell them they need to articulate that opinion via cursive handwriting, and then that way oh, you oh, keep you laugh, the tradition there, alive. There have there have been disciplinary measures in my household that involved writing essays for me. So, <laughs> Yes. On an iPad or on paper? No, on you know, paper and handwriting, no typing around. Okay. Uh, no. Sorry, so, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Okay. No. Um, I I don't have a lot of patience for, um, especially a negative opinion about something. Just saying, well, I mm. really hate that, or I really don't like that. I'm like, well, tell me why. Like, if you can articulate why, mm. it, it tells me that you've thought thought it out, and it's not. Uh, it's not an opinion based on outside influences or, um, you know, particularly, obviously, in our house, we have lots of conversations about gender disparity. So there have been conversations where somebody has made a thoughtless comment of, um, I'm particularly thinking of my oldest son, who uh, we were watching, it was a sporting event, and there was a very attractive female sportscaster, and he made the comment, well, you know why she got the job. And I was like, oh, let's back that one up. And let's talk about what you just said. So um, I, I think you can really, those differing opinions, as long as they can articulate and you can have real conversations about them, I, I don't have a problem with that. Mm. Um, but I do sort of, uh, because at this age, children can be very, very influenced by a lot of different factors. Sometimes factors they don't even realize are influencing them. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a good way to really open up you know, communication in a fun way about something that you both really like. Exactly. Well, except, you know, my heartbreaking story, and I think I told you this in, in email, Mark, is I waited to introduce my children to Star Wars mm-hmm. until I felt that they were old enough to appreciate the glory that it was. And I also uh-huh. wanted to introduce them the right way, you know, starting with movie four, five and six, and then going back to the prequels because that's yeah. how I did it. That's how it should be done. That's how it should be done. Um, unbeknownst to me, my oldest son was over a friend's house, and they decided they were going to watch Star Wars Episode One, and he thought this oh, was the no. best thing he had ever seen in his entire life, which is wonderful, except he thinks four, five, and six are crap because what? of the dodgy special effects. <laughs> And they, you know, it, and he has since revised his opinion to they're not that bad, but they're <laughs> wow, it, damning with faint yeah, praise. And, and, how, and that, how old is really he? Stung. Well, he's eighteen now, but at the time he was—I okay. I think he was—he uh, may have 
been nine, eight or nine when he saw that. And of course, you know, you have a child protagonist who's that age and they can really identify with that. Mm. So, you know, which is kind of why I wanted to introduce him the right way. And I had that opportunity mm. taken out from under me. And it, has, it. and it has colored his perceptions of this property that I love and adore. So I, I think you, you sort of have to decide too how you're going to introduce the thing that you love to your children. Yeah, you know, it sounds like around. you should have episode four just playing on a loop in the yeah, background yeah. from the was, moment they're born, g- just so that that can never happen. I was going to, to say that um, maybe you know that was a lesson learned there, Debs. Maybe f- for yourself and the rest of the world, listen to this podcast. If you're going to bring kids in the world, start on episode four, start because episode four. by the time they get to episode one, they too will be thinking, you know, uh, <laughs> most of it it's cod swallop. <laughs> well, you, you know, this this actually brings up another question I wanted to ask because. Uh, a, a lot of my very immediate questions have to do with early childhood, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, just right as everything is uh, starting up. And one of my big questions was, and it actually pertains to episode four or Star Wars, as I like to call it, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. when do you let them see what you would consider to be a scary thing? Because mm. I think... There's a fine line between scary thing and uh, nerdy thing based on how old the uh, the uh, uh, viewer is. Mm-hmm. And for for example, um, I so I I got to see Star Wars when I was when, when when I was five. It was it was in the uh, theater, and it's probably my earliest geeky memory. And the one big thing that I remember because I was terrified was when the Sam people got up on mm-hmm. screen and they were screaming and they were beating up mm. everybody and it terrified me and I distinctly remember getting up in in uh, my seat turning around and hiding because I was so scared of uh these things and so I was trying to think you know should I wait until the child is a little bit older because you know daddy mm. daddy uh, knows that the really scary sand people are uh coming and I don't want to do that to them or do I I don't know <laughs> Yeah, again, I know in, in my personal experience, every child, even within the same family, is going to have different fear thresholds. Yeah, and fear yeah. threshold. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's, <laughs> and only you can judge that. I mean, I, okay. you know, my oldest son was more timid in what he liked to watch when he was younger. Um, I think my youngest daughter could probably watch The Walking Dead without having her stomach wow. turn. Not that I let her do that, <laughs> mind you. But no, but no. she is just she is fearless. She likes scary mm. things. She likes to mm. be scared. Um, huh. You know, obviously it's not an appropriate show. I'd never would let her watch that. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I there was um, I sat down to watch. Oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with my oldest son when mm-hmm. he was about 10. Don't ever do that with a child who has a, has a low fear threshold because oh, that yes. is okay. really, Melty really Nazis. creepy. And we probably got about 20 <laughs> minutes in and I realized my mistake. This was not a good introduction for mm. him. He was not ready for this. So, mm. you know, there is there is no magic number. I mean, I think, right. I, I don't know, okay. what's your experience been, Lee? Because I just know each child is so different. Yeah, you're absolutely 100% right. They are all different. And they, they find the strangest things scary as well. Because uh, when Finn was watching The Unquiet Dead, he must have been, I'm just trying to think, six, just six. 
Um, and, you know, the first couple of Doctor Whos were, were fun. And then The Unquiet Dead came on and it was the moment where the lady walked towards the screen. The opening screaming, scene. The opening yeah. scene with the eyes, yeah. right? Um, from then on, he had a massive fear of things with big eyes. So Gollum freaked the hell out of him for a while. <laughs> um, and he really did. He said, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with anything with big eyes. Ooh, you know, even in kids' storybooks, big eyes freaked him out. And I, <laughs> for ages, we were trying to work out what the problem was. And then we, we got it back to that opening <clears> scene. And he... And he said that he could not watch that again, ever. Um, but he did put it on, uh, you know, a year or two back. And he went, oh, yeah, that that's pretty scary, but I'm OK with it. That's fine. But for all those years, I've been terrified. And, and he Mark would, Gatiss, he would, you've got a lot to has, answer Mark, for. Mark, I'm going to have him. No, he um, <laughs> he wouldn't go to sleep. He'd have nightmares. And I thought, oh, that's, yeah, that was probably... That wasn't right. That tipped it. Yeah, Whereas Holly, strangely much. enough, Holly like Bell. your daughter, Debs, you could probably sit her through, um, you know, six episodes of The Walking Dead and she'd be absolutely fine. You know, I caught her watching Insidious. Uh, Insidious, is that right? Mm-hmm. The film? Insidious. Insidious, that's it. Sorry, Insidious. I don't even know if it's a word. <laughs> um, and also the um, Shaun of the Dead, which at her age, when she was 13, shouldn't really have been watching because of the swearing. <laughs> but I, I thought, in a way... I was kind of proud of her, but at the same time I had to tell her off um, for enjoying Shaun of the Dead so much. But you're right, they have got different thresholds and uh, Holly is hard as nails and Finn is harder. He's a lot harder, but he can't watch anything creepy or ghostly because that mm-hmm. freaks him out. And I think that was due to that Mark Gatiss episode, The Fool. Oh. What did he write thank, it for? Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Mark. Yeah. Hey, Mark. It, this... it, but it's, it's funny, too. Another thing that I have found is creating an artificial sense of excitement um, that mm. you can do with your children. Like, I love the BBC series Sherlock. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I knew that my daughter would really, really like Sherlock. Now, it is, you know, it, it's a slightly more mature story, but it's not yeah. so mature that she couldn't have handled it. But I told her that you had to be 13 to be able to watch Sherlock. And it was, this was probably six months, before, it hit her radar probably about six months before she turned 13. And this turned mm-hmm. into a really big event. You know, she was 13 years old. I let her watch it on Netflix on her, on her nook. <laughs> she has a nook. And um, I, so I sort of created a, a, a test tube fangirl for Sherlock because I heightened hmm. it to be something really <laughs> an event, sort of a transformative thing. You were now a teenager. You were allowed to watch this show. And I don't know whether if she if I had just said, oh, yeah, go ahead and watch that, whether she would have enjoyed it as much or she would have been enthralled enough to go back and read the original source stories. And, and now she's it. responsible for 90 percent of the gifts that are knocking around on Tumblr. <laughs> well, me, no, she does not. She's not allowed on Tumblr. She does not okay. have a Tumblr account. She's an Instagram and a Pinterest, which I also you know have access to. Um, I just started using Pinterest and it's kind of cool, but um, I need to perhaps have more spare time to you need to be 20 years younger (laughs) well there is that so as a parent you know if there's something that you really really like you can sort of create Mm -hmm. this event around letting them consume it that's a really cool way of doing it it is it's a really cool way of doing it i love that idea Uh, finn has only just started watching sherlock now um Mm. and i've got to say he he watched the first one i wasn't sure whether he'd be into it or not um, but it, of course, it is written so fantastically. It's one of the best things on TV, as far as I'm concerned. He instantly got hooked. He said, oh, I didn't understand half of that, but it was brilliant. And mm-hmm. to me, I thought, that's great. That means he's going to go back and keep watching it until he gets all the bits. And it's going to be one of those programs that he'll always remember. In fact, he's gone out and bought all three box sets straight away because he loved it so much. That's funny. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, like, now, I have but, a question for you because I tend to be a little bit more... Um, strict about what I let them watch visually, mm-hmm. and I'm not quite yeah, as strict about what I let them read. And I and right. I was curious to see what 
you know, how you approach that. Because I know mm-hmm. when I was very, I was always a big reader. And when I was very young, I wanted to read Gone with the Wind. A big book here mm-hmm. in the States made a movie of it. Mm-hmm. There's an inc- it's an incredibly adult book, but it's also mm-hmm. a really good historical romp. And, and I was, oh, I was in fifth grade, which means I was probably 10 and a half when I wanted to read it. My mother said no. And of course I <laughs> snuck it and read it anyway. And so we sat down and had a conversation about it. And all the things that my mother questioned me about are things that because I didn't have the scope to understand them, they really didn't sink in all the adultery mm-hmm. and all the sex things because it was mm-hmm. sort of, it wasn't anything that was on my personal radar. So I kind of glossed over those bits and just focused on the things that I liked. And I kind of think yeah. you can do that in written material. You really can't do that yeah. as much in viewed material. So I didn't know how, where you came down as a parent on how strict you are about what your children consume in sort of geek culture. That's a really, really good question again, isn't it? Um, and it's quite a big one, I'd imagine, because viewing and book reading are two different kinds of things. Um, hmm, it is interesting. Viewing... I think, I mean, f- interestingly, f- Sherlock is quite grown up, I think. So there are things like, cada- you know, dead people on tables and things are quite scary. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, I can't remember what the rating is, 12 or something, but... Um, Not to mention dominatrixes. It, well, he hasn't got to that bit yet. We'll see how he copes with that. But um, exactly. I'm saying I see, I, I, I don't mind him watching it. He's 14 and I think he's ready. And you, again, mm-hmm. you, you have to judge your own children because some kids yeah. are ready at 12 and 13 to almost watch anything i mean i was watching zombie films when i was 12 behind my mum and dad's back uh zombie dawn of dead and all that uh and i absolutely loved it and it didn't it didn't affect me uh <laughs> but um, <laughs> um uh, we'll be the judge of that yeah now. exactly i mean i got scared and i had a few nightmares about certain things but you know it didn't do me any harm as far as the sexual things are concerned i remember watching death wish um when i was uh, probably about 10 around the neighbours and they put it on for me it was a bit weird actually thinking about it now but anyway um and there's a horrible rape scene in it and a a person gets falls onto a gate and stabs himself it's the most horrific thing and it stayed with me forever um and i hated any films that had anything to do with that situation in it i don't care how clever that was it just completely frightened me so you you have to i mean that kind of thing didn't escape my radar because it was very visual whereas Mm -hmm. i think you're right if you were to read that in a book i would would have just skated over that and it it wouldn't have made any difference so for instance when i read to kill a mockingbird which i think i remember one of the people in the the books is accused of raping uh you don't as a kid visualize what that's all about you just hear the word and you kind of guess what it is and move on and i think you're quite right unless it's really really detailed like a clive barker novel you know the actual mm. gore is really detailed um then i think you should be okay giving your kids most things um but it would be worth it'd be a good idea to read it yourself if you don't think if you think yeah. it might be a bit dodgy for instance but no you're right you do have this strange radar that you can gloss over when you read um your imagination's powerful but you can push things to one side because you're not looking at it but when it's in your face you don't get a chance and I, I, one last thing um very recently i watched jude the obscure in order to watch christopher eccleston i say recently mm. nine years ago but um it, it was the most horrendous ending to that story and i hadn't read it um, but when i saw it it was it had me for, for weeks i couldn't get it out of my head it was the most horrendous ending and i just thought visually you know that director didn't need to put that in there um and it was just horrible and yeah and it affected me a lot so even as as, a, as an adult mm-hmm. visually things can completely shake me but um so yeah you have to be a bit oh i wouldn't show that to my kids for instance but i would let them read the book 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. So I should let him read Star Wars before he sees Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, well, and that's well, been my – that's been with my youngest daughter has wanted to watch the Hunger Games movies, which are PG-13. You know, and that's yeah. a good guideline. PG-13 is a really good guideline. Some kids are ready at 12. Some kids aren't ready at 13. So you and like the rating system? Because it I, seems I, like R today is different than when I was a kid. You know, I think it's, it's a guideline. I think you have to have some sort of rough guideline, and then you can apply yeah. that to your own children. But I told her, I said, if you can read the Hunger Games books, I will let you watch the Hunger Games movies. So that was sort <laughs> of, you know, there's all these tricks that you have to do to gauge whether they're ready to consume materials, because they're, especially in our house, you know, you're just barraged uh-huh. by... You know, there's there's boys that like the superhero movies and are into gaming, and we've had to have gaming restrictions put on because you know they're playing games that are certainly not appropriate for oh. you know, the younger ones to watch. So, uh, you know, there's certain areas of the house where they can they can play certain games, and they have the to Halo be. Room. Yeah, we, well, we have the Call of Duty, you know, and, and this oh, is, oh, yeah. my son's 18, and he's online okay. with his friends, and they're playing, you know, first-person shooter games, which we've also yeah. had a lot of conversations about before that was allowed to happen, but, mm. you know, you don't want your younger children exposed to that, when, and you guys don't have to worry about that because you only have one, but if you do have more than one child, mm. um, especially if there is an age gap, you know, you have to be careful how much yeah. your younger children are exposed to, because it, it will seep in whether you want it mm. to or not. You know, it's funny. You you guys keep talking about uh, the the issues that I haven't even thought about yet because I'm not thinking past the kid being like ten, and there, there's all this stuff that I haven't even thought about now, and I'm slowly now we've scared you contemplating. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Well, well, Ben, by the end of the podcast, you're just going to be curled up in the corner, rocking forwards and back. Well, we, should, we, should day, some, so. we should come up with some baby things. Like, well, yeah. okay, here's a baby thing. To, to Here, here's you know. here's kind of an early question. Okay, the, part of this is. I keep thinking about the dumbest questions in my in in my head, and in my head they make they make sense. But once I say it out loud, it sounds completely stupid. And this is a good example of uh, one. Okay, okay <laughs> all right, here we go. Stupid, stupid question time. Do I have to wait for the kid to understand the concept of you know reality before showing him something fantasy? Does no, that make no. sense? No. Like, does no, the no, no, kid no, 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 need no. to truly understand that magic is not real before I show him Harry uh, Potter? Because I don't want to confuse them. Is that dumb? Wow. Is that <laughs> no? Are you are you into science? Do you like real life? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can do the two um, okay. quite easily, really. I think because kids do separate stuff off naturally and um with things like science you know they'll do things at school where they grow plants and look at bugs and stuff like that and look inside bugs and they understand that science and then simply when you show them bing and bong from the planet mars cartoon or whatever they will know that that's a, a telly program and it's and it's not real you they're very good at separating these things off i think mm-hmm. i think these the, the scary thing is is something like deb said about the call of duty when you have something mm-hmm. reality based yeah. warfare where you're blowing people's faces is clean off and that really does happen in the world it's quite a horrendous thing normally an 18 16 year old it's okay they can handle it you know they know it's not real blah 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 but a 10 12 year old or 5 6 year old obviously they're going to be thinking 
that's mm. okay is that normal and the more you feed them that the more they're going to get brainwashed into thinking that that's that's the right thing that's an extreme example but um i also, think when I you're think... very very early on you're, you're quite safe i mean the teletubbies you know never really screwed up my daughter um and <laughs> the tweenies are equally science fiction in their own weird way <laughs> another kind of strange stuff that's on telly whatever you do though don't ever show your kids barney because that will definitely melt oh. their brain I don't know. Well, we, we, we had Barney fans in my house, so I've mm-hmm. I've seen my fair share of Barney. I, I think oh, they're fine. Yeah. I don't know that uh-huh. I've yet recovered. Did you have the compulsion to go out and stab dinosaurs in the face? Uh, yeah, I do. No, I mean, but... the other thing is <laughs> Bear in the Big Blue House is another one. I just can't bear those two. <laughs> well, well, that's well, just good survival skills. You know, dinosaurs <laughs> and bears will eat me. Well, yeah, here's but... another really hard lesson as a parent. Uh-huh. The things that you're taking away from Barney and Bear in the Big Blue House are not the things that your children are taking away from that. They are taking it, mm-hmm. they're looking at it very unironically. They're looking at the message that is, is being conveyed is the message that they're, they're receiving, which is sharing and kindness yeah. and you know all these other things. You're dying. Mm-hmm. You're actually gagging at the saccharine obnoxiousness of it all. And your children can be enraptured by this. And you have to, you know, before you sort of dismiss something as saying, you know, this is treacle and this is awful and why am I exposing my child to this, is sort Mm. of, well, what is the takeaway? What are they trying to say? Is that message worth it? So should I really be discouraging my child from watching something that they really like? Do you want your child to know it's good to share? Right. So that and that, oh, I've watched some really awful television, you know, and it's all, you know, educational television, really good stuff, but that I just could not stomach. And and again, that's part of tamping down your expectations as a parent. Mm. And, you know, of course you want to introduce them to the cooler things as well. I always said as a geek parent, your child will always have the very best t-shirts ever because (laughs) you have that eye. Um, But yeah, you have to, you kind of have to sometimes accept the fact that they're going to like something that you absolutely loathe, like Dora the Explorer or... Um, it's something else that PBS is going to throw at you. or the... But it, it's interesting, isn't it, um, that we are talking almost as if we haven't got the power to turn the telly off, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, or, or direct them away from Dora the Explorer. Because okay. at that age, the, but, I don't suppose, yeah. But they all have cell phones and iPads now. So yeah, do, we, do we actually have that power, you know? <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, but you know, I, yeah, it, it's it's hard because the things. You know, my my daughters love Dora the Explorer, and you know, they knew Dora the Explorer Spanish by the time they entered kindergarten. Which mm, is that a enough. bad thing? No, that's certainly mm, not a bad mm, thing. Yeah. No. But yeah, it's you're right. You do have the ability to turn something off, and as a parent, I think you know we need to exercise that. Frequently. Yeah, but do you know what? In three o'clock in the morning, if you've got to sit there and watch a really terrible cartoon with your kids, you're going to do it, aren't you? Just to shut them up. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I did use a distraction tactic the other day because yeah. Tom was a little bit cranky. I had the iPad and I managed to dredge up a 40-year-old episode of Sesame Street. Hey. Oh, the good and ones. I don't know if it was like a compilation of the best bits, but it just seemed to be... One heck of an episode. You have the Manamana song. Yeah. You had It's Not Easy Being Green. You had Stevie Wonder doing Superstition. Wow. It was amazing. Oh, he loved it. 70s Sesame Street is amazing. I, yeah, I, yeah, really good yeah. stuff. But then again, your children could also introduce you to wonderful things like Phineas and Ferb, which I yeah. adore. Simon, who we do the Blue Box podcast with, he's a big fan of that. Oh, See, this, is, this is completely new to me. What, what is this? What's the Phineas, Phineas and, and Ferb, Ferb is a Disney program. And it is, I don't know if anybody, this is, now I'm showing my age, because this was showing, you know, in, on UHF reruns when I was young, was um, Rocky and Bullwinkle. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, now Rocky and Bullwinkle yeah. was a fantastic show as a child, but watching Rocky and Bullwinkle as an adult, it's hysterical mm-hmm. because there was a whole different level of humor that yeah. was aimed at adults mm-hmm. that sort of like, you know, that glossing over thing that we talked about, mm-hmm. the kids just never got. But, you know, again, watching it as an adult, Phineas and Ferb is very, very similar. My children are laughing at the humor on one level, and my husband and I are laughing at the humor on a very adult <laughs> level. So it has that, that wit to it. Um, and the creators are Doctor Who fans, so every now and then something slips in, which oh, is really wow. fun. But it is it is a really fun show that is smart and intelligent. And, and, you know, it has a good message, but, you know, the kids take lots of risks and do crazy things. So it's not, um, you know, there's enough fantasy involved in it that, you know, the kids think it's mm-hmm. really okay. cool, too. I will look into that. And, and actually, on the Rocky and Bullwinkle, you just triggered something in my uh, uh, memory. I learned the concept that there are other countries from watching Rocky and uh, Bullwinkle, I, I, the whole concept that there that I live in a certain country, and people live in a different country, different from the one that I, I that concept <laughs> never occurred to me or was illustrated to me until I was a kid watching Rocky and Bullwinkle for some reason. I do you think that's a very American perspective? Probably, probably, um, or just the fact that mom and dad hadn't gotten a, a uh, round of getting a globe or a map and showing me <laughs> where I live, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, Mark, I always thought it was just it was just Parkstone in Pool, which is where I was brought up. And uh, you know, when we got <laughs> to the edge of the sea, that was it. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're an yeah. island. So. End of the world. <laughs> yeah. so the world ends. Yeah. You know, I think you the know, one thing you can do too, as a parent of a very young child, is is just expose them to a lot of different cultural things and a lot of different um the one thing that that sort of really makes me crazy and even now as a child of you know the mother of a child entering the tweenhood um Mm -hmm. is the gendering of things you know there's Mm -hmm. blue things for boys and pink things for girls and you know it's and and if you do have a girl you know i think boys it's a little bit easier because you know you guys are the default um everything's from defaults male where, you know, women tend, and little girls tend to be put in a box of glitter and, and princesses mm. and things. So boys can have science kits and girls can have sewing Yes, kits. exactly. And I think, yeah. you know, especially, you know, if you do end up having a little girl, Ben, is to try <laughs> to expose her to lots of things. It's it's certainly okay if they like glitter and princesses and, and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But Well, I like glitter and princesses. I got well, no problem does with this. <laughs> Come on. Um, but even, you should you know, see the mic I'm talking into. It's bedazzled. <laughs> like, you Oh, now I really want to bedazzle my mic now. Mine's really dull. But, you know, even, even, and especially I think it's just as important for little boys as well. So they don't grow up with that idea um, that girls are different and girls can't do the same things that they do. Mm-hmm. So I think exposing children very young mm-hmm. to this idea of a gender, gender neutrality, but still allowing them to like what they like uh, is really important. You know important. what, Deb? You said that you... That Dora the 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 explorer kind of gets under your uh, skin, but think about it. That's a a female character going out and doing amazing uh, things. And oh, absolutely. When I was absolutely. a kid, you know, you're right. The cartoons were always very male based, and mm-hmm. it's never occurred to me. Hey, here's some parenting advice that someone gave me that I thought was really good. Even though you guys say I probably shouldn't listen to other parenting advice, but <laughs> but I'm listening to you give me advice on not to take no, no, advice. You so should, you, you should my listen. Problem. No, you should listen to all the advice. <laughs> yeah. You should listen to all the advice and then take what you think is worthy out okay, and discard yeah. the rest. Because yeah. here's a good that last one. Piece 
piece of advice, though. <laughs> Here's a good one. Uh, my friend uh, Greg, they uh, don't have cable, they don't have satellite, and they rarely watch the over-the-air the over the air channels. But they do have Netflix. And he has a couple of kids. They're uh, five and seven. And they watch cartoons on the online streaming on the uh, net uh, on the Netflix. You know they 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 uh, love it, but because mm-hmm. they're not watching TV that's being broadcast, they are not seeing any toy uh, 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 commercials. Mm-hmm. All they are seeing are the actual programs. So whenever it gets to be about uh, Christmas time, they are not being brainwashed by the uh, toy uh, commercial blitzes. And and consequently, they aren't coming to Greg and demanding the hottest uh, toy that they have been taught to, you know, want. So so Greg is actually able to get them toys based on on what they actually like. I don't know. It just sounds like such a neat experiment to, to kind of cut a kid off from the you know, commercial brainwashing that can mm-hmm. come from TV How hard is it, though, once they oh. start going to school? Because all their schoolmates are going to be talking about, well, I saw this on this channel, I saw this on this channel. Well, I, I, Do, are I you don't know. danger of kind of cutting them off from their peers because they're not dep- enjoying the same things? Well, Maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's I mean, the toy side of thing, it depends on what yeah. it is, doesn't it? I mean, if, for mm. instance, the Teletubbies, um, a Cabbage Patch Kids, I think, was the same mm. kind of craze. Um, yeah. Everybody had to have one. All the kids had you to had have one. Yeah, parents fighting each other for Teletubbies. It was their most hilarious. There's probably some video bizarre. video footage of people outside uh, certain superstores in Britain punching each other to get a Teletubby because yeah. <laughs> uh, they just really wanted it for Christmas. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, again, it's entirely up to you how far you want to go with s- supplying children their wishes and their delights. I, I just um, thought it was it was really cool because they didn't know that. That yeah. it that 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 it yeah. was something that society told them that they must uh, have, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm assuming it will give you a far greater control over what they're getting right. to see as now, well. Now, of, of course, granted, the kids aren't really in grade school yet, or or they're just starting mm-hmm. on grade school. But you know, his uh, daughter is really into science, so he got her a uh, a uh, telescope, and she absolutely loves it. You know, and that may not have happened if uh, she'd been brainwashed into wanting the. Cabbage Patch or whatever the kids are into today. I'm such an old man sounding right here. I love it. Kids are really smart, too. I mean, don't Uh ever discount children's sort of native intelligence. And all it takes is getting that one hot desired toy and discovering that it is not all that or it is shoddy construction Mm. or it breaks or doesn't work the way that it shows on television. And they remember that. And all of a sudden, I think Mm. they get a little skeptical Mm -hmm. about things. And it's also, I mean, television commercials, again, you you don't realize as a parent how how much of your life turns into teachable moments. And television commercials are sort of one of those things that, you know, you say, okay, well, do you really think it's going to work that way? Or do you really (laughs) think that when you get it, you know, you're going to be able to make... You're like the opposite of Father Christmas. Yeah, I'm like Debbie Downer, (laughs) let me tell you. But, you know, you could really talk about how the manipulation of marketing with your uh-huh. kids because you they will get they will get that crap toy eventually because once they go to school everybody's talking about <laughs> you know, I have yeah. to have this this is the one thing that you know everybody at school's getting and they're playing with and your and your kids going to pick up on that the influences mm. on your children are going to be wide and many and not just by television because um, yeah because like in the uh, in the 1980s when I was going to grade to uh, grade school um, I really didn't like 
war things. I mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't into into soldiers, but GI Joe was on TV, and GI Joe commercials were constant, and I felt this odd need to have some GI Joe figures, mm-hmm. and I got them. I didn't really play with them, but I still felt like I I absolutely needed them. Mm-hmm. And I was a victim of the brainwashing, I guess. You know, so, it's yeah. almost like a virus that creeps uh-huh. yeah. into yeah. your children's life of the thing that is hot at the moment. And last summer yeah. for us, it was, I don't know if you guys had this in the UK, it was the rainbow loom. And the rainbow what? loom was this bit of plastic that had knobs on it. And you took very brightly colored rubber bands and you wove them through this thing and you could make bracelets and necklaces and things. Oh, yeah. And Hot it scoobies. wasn't, right, it wasn't one kid that had this. It was every kid that I knew. Wherever two or more kids gathered, there was rainbow looms being <laughs> loomed upon. And it wasn't that there was a TV commercial. And it mm-hmm. wasn't that we saw any... It, it was sort of like a virus that just came up yeah. out of the ground and everybody... Mm-hmm. All of a sudden became the hot thing to have. And nobody could figure out who had the first one or where. (laughs) And and both my daughters were on a swim team last year. So we would go to swim meets and every swim club and every swimming pool we went to. It was the same thing. It was really (laughs) creepy. If aliens were trying to take over the world, they could have done so (laughs) last summer through brightly colored rubber bands and rainbow looms. Hey, we said at the start of this episode that you shouldn't take everyone's advice to heart you should make your own decisions but i'm going to be emailing deb every five minutes now. oh yeah she's tell me what i should do in this sense well hey deb this 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 proves how absolutely disconnected i am with um kid culture i mean we live two states away from from each other and until this moment i have never heard of the rainbow loom thing never and well, and just just sort of hearing know. you talk about it it sounds makes you want one. <laughs> yes, yes, but also it doesn't sound as bad as say getting the latest Angry Birds game. It sounds like something that kids mm-hmm. are actually making, and there's this uh, right. social yeah. as- aspect to it. And oh, until you were the so. parent waiting in line at the store to buy the last Rainbow Loom, oh. and everybody had to have the glow in the dark rubber band pack, and there was only three oh. left, and oh, it turned okay. into an angry mob. Oh yeah, it wasn't bad <laughs> at all. No. Glow in the dark. That's so cool. It so I'm cool. gonna need to learn some mob survival skills. Yeah. Is what you're telling me? Yeah, definitely. And get a tent because you're gonna need it. A tent? Why? And a piece of two by well, four. Well, you need as to well. camp outside the superstore at three o'clock in the morning in front of everybody else. You see? Oh, okay. Well, so Lee, I can't did, just did any of your, it. I would, I'm curious to see if any of Lee's children ever got got caught up into some big sort of the thing that everybody had to have. Yeah, they did. It was called the tweenies. I don't know if you've got them in America. Mm-hmm. Um, there were Never four heard of kind of. Um, uh, well, well, four characters that look very odd. They look a bit like The Simpsons, really, in reality, and they do singing and dancing. They got a, a, a number one track over here in the pop charts, um, and they were really big. And because they were music based, and my daughter, even at four, five, six, she loved music. That's what really, uh, you know, that's what she wanted. And everything had to be tweenies, everything. And she went for the the guy called Jake, who was the one that was always really stupid. And it's like, oh, man, we've got to have this face in our house all the time. But, yeah, she did. She got caught up in that. And, you know, I think it was an odd thing. She went to school and everybody was like, tweenies this, tweenies that. And she'd have her Jake. And one day it went missing. Oh, my God, the hell we went through to try and get exactly the same one. Uh, back again um yeah it's it it was horrible oh that's a good parenting (laughs) tip too if there's something Mm, that your child adores buy two because Uh, if you lose one 
then mm. you will have a backup because there is no hell like a child who was missing that well, one special thing. <laughs> Honestly, Deb, that's that's sort of how I am with you know my toys now. I buy a well, backup see, of every what can, can I just ask uh, you and Mark a question then? Um, mm-hmm. I know how me and Deb's have probably react to this one, but I'm interested to see what you think. Uh, when you when your kids are, are growing up and they're getting into the stuff that you're into, um, you've obviously got your Doctor Who figures and your Dalek figures. How are you going to mm-hmm. feel when they are pointing at them and going, Daddy, can I play with that? Daddy, can I play with that? That's why I bought two of them. them. <laughs> Keep one safe. Uh, actually, that's a great point. I don't know. Mark, what, what do you what do you think you might do? I'm quite happy with that. I mean, um, our living room is a bit of a, a tat museum. It's got lots of Doctor Who figures and stuff all over the place. And uh, Yeah, but not, no, with one, great. not with one arm broken and a head chewed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I'm. I I think I've. That's called uh, customizingly. You, you make it. We have a mutual friend, Jr., who's the the brains behind the Blue Box podcast, and he collects them like you would not believe the stuff. Mm. The Dot Two figures, and I think he would probably have some kind of mental breakdown <laughs> if anything happened to them. Yeah, he would. Um, yeah. So I'm not really that uh, precious in that way. And I remember as a kid, we had the Star Wars figures. My brother was that bit older than me. He was about four or five years older than me. And he had all the Star Wars figures. I remember spending hours and hours playing with those figures and creating my own stories. So I think it's really good. It fires their imagination. So, yeah, yeah, I I would be more than happy for them to play with them. Well, that's very brave. That is quite brave. (laughs) (laughs) We had a Slitheen. No, we had um, Christopher Eccleston and Slitheen telecom set sort of thing. You know, it's a CB set you talk to each other oh, walkie talkie that's the word mm-hmm. i'm trying to mm. go across the atlantic and i'm yeah, telecom um, sounds <laughs> so much cooler though than walkie <laughs> but it's true you know you speak into their tummies they're the most bizarre toys really? but they were quite ben already thinks that we're all, uh, everything over in the uk is steampunk it, it is pretty much it was Absolutely. basically steampunk in, in, in a slitheen <laughs> um, and you you press the button and you talk to each other through these bellies it's really weird but they were quite mm. nice models and the slitheen model is a gorgeous model and my son kind of left it out and a cousin came over and played in inverted commas with it Uh-oh. and broke the arms off um, and we couldn't do anything about it, they're broken and of course that first year of Eccleston stuff saturated the market mm-hmm. but then disappeared completely in the second year with, for the tenant stuff to come out and we couldn't get them, we couldn't get them again so we forever got this broken kind of slitheen but that is a child just playing with a toy so you mm-hmm. have to be ready, that uh, Mark you know, yeah. that your silences are going to end up you know, uh, with legs missing and, <laughs> and bite See, we, we don't. I do not have a lot of action figures because I went through that madness with another mm-hmm. fandom that I was involved in. And now what have, was that fandom? Curious. It was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, Ooh. I have cartons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer tat. Um, that you sort of, and then again, once you have children, you realize how much tat they come with. And all of a sudden, it's you will never own so much plastic made in China in your life until you have children. Oh, yeah. Um, Are you kidding? The reason I want a kid is for all of the accessories. That's why I want a baby. Come on. Oh, there's so many to be had. Um, So I've not really bought into the whole Doctor Who thing, but I, I have so many Doctor Who books and magazines and... Um, yeah, so I, uh, we have a lot of, um, conversations about treating books properly, which I just think is good, Mm -hmm. good to have period. You know, if you're going to read the comic books, you have to make sure your hands are clean. You know, you can't dog your, the, Mm -hmm. the the edges and that sort of thing. So that you have to be old enough to be responsible to hold a book in order to have the Doctor Who books. Mm -hmm. Definitely. (laughs) Well, 
could, could I ask everybody a weird question? Um, uh, so <laughs> something that, I, yeah, well, like the other ones haven't been. I've, well, one of the things I love when, when I talk to, to people who are obviously as geeky as um, I am, can, can you guys think back to when your, your earliest geek memory was that was sort of a defining moment that really kind of set you on the road to being a, uh, a, a geek where, where, where you would favor nerdy stuff mm. more than something like, say, cars or moose uh, hunting or sports, you know? Like, what, <laughs> uh, what exactly was that defining moment? Do uh, you guys know? I think, I think we should let Lee go first because I think he has to disappear pretty I soon. I do. Sorry, Lee. That's okay. No, no, it's, it's me. I've got to go and see Godzilla. Hey. Um, <laughs> That's your moment. <laughs> That's my moment. <laughs> uh, no, my, my moment was um, uh, buying my first Star Wars figure back in, oh God, uh, 78, 79. I can't remember when they first put mm-hmm. them out. But um, I think it was Hammerhead. It might have been Hammerhead in the first run. Oh, um, I and I bought it from a place called Lavers, uh, which got shut down eventually for nefarious reasons, but never mind. And it was a, it was a <laughs> toy shop. And I remember going in and buying it and having it and, and ripping the cover off and playing with it nonstop. And it was something like 49, no, 79, 49p, something like that. Really dead mm-hmm. cheap. Um, and that was it because, of course, it wasn't just one figure was it it was star wars figures so you could uh-huh. collect the lot yeah. of them and i know mm. i didn't stop so we collected and collected and collected and they showed you all the ones you could get on the back of the pack yeah as well. absolutely and you could cut out the little um name tags you know like c3po mm. and luke skywalker the actual name tags you cut them out you send them off and you could get yourself a boba fett um or mm. boba fett depending on which area you come from and it was uh, oh wow yeah that was those were heady days for those five years of collecting Star Wars figures <laughs> and obviously going into my room uh, my brother's room and yeah. stealing his Doctor Who magazine his first one and reading mm-hmm. that those two moments were definitely a defining moment when I realised I was an absolute nerd <laughs> yeah it's like a moment of self awareness like well yeah I know that's who it. I am <laughs> yeah, that's I great I'm sorry I can't kick a ball I can't play tennis but I can't. <laughs> We're going to have to say goodbye to Lee now, so thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really thank good to have you, you on. It's been a real so blast. Good to meet you, Lee. We'll get you back again it soon. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Take care, guys, and have Thanks, a Lee. good rest of the podcast. Bye. Enjoy Godzilla. Hey, thank you for all the advice, and tell me how scary Godzilla is and whether I should take my unborn baby to see it. <laughs> Definitely take your unborn baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> take care. Thanks, Lee. Bye. Well, I'm going to chip in with my own... Uh, a little story. I've mentioned this a few times on um, the Blue Box podcast, and it's you know it's still uh, it makes me depressed now thinking about depressed? it. Depressed? Oh uh, no! I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm 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 a very bitter person. <laughs> um, in my formative years, I must have been about six years old, and my hero was Tom Baker. Okay, he was the Doctor. There was no other person. I wasn't aware at this point that there were any other doctors. He was the doctor, and he was my hero. And uh, my brother, who's that little bit older than me, would watch Doctor Who, but he wasn't really that bothered about it. And um, we both went to the same primary school, and uh, he had the chance to enter a competition. They were doing a sort of inter-schools competition. You had to design an alien, and his class was the... Sort of the oldest class in our primary school, so they got to design this monster that looked like a kind of red Christmas tree with arms and legs. 
um, and they entered against all these other schools and they would go to this place local to us and none other than Tom Baker in his full fourth doctor costume came down to judge the competition. Really? So he and all his schoolmates got to go and meet Tom Baker, but I was not allowed to go. I was too young and I was very, very, very upset. Oh, no. um, my my mum tried to make it up to me by bringing back a, a toy that she'd won in the raffle at the event. Um, but I was inconsolable. So and we still have photos. I actually scanned in a photo the other day of Tom Baker, which I think my mum must have taken um, when he was meeting the kids. And yeah, it still breaks my heart today. Oh no! Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is so sad. And it was then sad. that I knew I was a nerd. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I uh, want to call him up or send him an email and say, "Seek out Mark Cochran <laughs> and heal his wounds, Mr. Baker, please." <laughs> oh, that's. What about you, Dad? Uh, Do you have a defining moment? I think moment? my defining moment was, you know, I my first. The first time I saw Star Wars, you know, episode four, mm-hmm. sitting in the theater and watching, you know, the starship come across uh, the screen yeah. because oh, the you had never seen anything like that mm. ever. You know, it's 1977 and special effects, are, you know, were still a little dodgy and they were feeling their way. Mm. So, you know, what the Lucas music, did, the music oh, at that point. Yeah. But even, you know, yeah. what Lucas did for science fiction films is, is was just astonishing. So I, I just remember that moment on a visceral level and I went out and I bought the trading cards and I had action figures Mm -hmm. and I think I had the album of the music Um, but really that you know I was kind of geeky about Star Wars when it when that was out but really Mm -hmm. I didn't I was more of a book geek um, you know to the point of tracking down different editions of things that I loved and uh, and it wasn't before Star Wars that you know this was kind of after Star Wars in my teen years I was more of a book geek I wasn't you know I was never really into comic books or anything and it wasn't until you know sort of adulthood that I rediscovered my geekiness and how um, compelling and passionate that you can become over something and I think I'm probably geekier now in adulthood than I was as a kid to be perfectly honest but I was going to say, you're making up for it I'm now. definitely making up for it now, but I, it, in it, a good was, way. it was Star Wars that really hit me in the gut and stuck with me for mm. all of those years, you know, to the point, you know, I was at every opening day release, and <laughs> when, the, when the movies were re-released, I was there. Um, yeah, it, that, that was sort of my formative, my formative fandom, um, you, even you though I didn't... That you- I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask. You said that you had to kind of re- rediscover your geekiness. Did you kind of fall from it? Just naturally because you got more into books or was there this uh, stigma that you kept running into that, oh, no, there, being there a geek is a bad? Stigma. There wasn't a stigma okay. at all. Um, it was just more, you know, my interest lay elsewhere and the things that, you know. She discovered boys. Well, yeah, there was boys. And, I, you know, I was, re- I no, was really boys busy. boys discovered I, Deb. <laughs> I was, you know, I was, well, I was yes. in band, so I, you know, played in an orchestra. I did, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had a lot of activities, a lot of things that I was involved in. Um, and it just... It just kind of fell off my radar a little bit. There's certainly, I don't remember a stigma to it at all, other than the really weird mm-hmm. Star Trek people who would wear ears oh, to school, yeah. and it was kind of they were kind of strange. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I think if you went to school wearing Spock ears now, people would probably give you the side eye. Um, still, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it just wasn't something that that stuck with me. It wasn't an interest that stuck with me. But then when I sort of rediscovered that as an adult. 
and discovered that, um, and you know, I've talked about this origin story in so many different places and things that I've written, but uh, the level of discourse surrounding these properties has changed. It wasn't just a, you know, when I was younger, it was more people throwing facts at each other. You know, do you know how many starships were here and what weapons were used and what planets were visited? And now oh, it's okay, more, yeah. you know, there's, people are talking about geek culture the way that people talked about literature and dissected literature yeah. now. And it's much, it's become much more respected to talk about comic books in, um, or, you know, television programs or movies in a way that we used to dissect and talk about and sort of critique and analyze literature. So I think it's, it's how we approach the conversation in a way that I'm really comfortable and really, really enjoy. And that wasn't so much, I wasn't so much a fact kid. Um, that didn't interest me as much to sort of one up people. So that's probably why mm. I, I fell away from it a little bit because it okay. just. No, that totally makes and sense. How about you then, Ben? So, sorry, what? So how about you? What was your defining moment? Uh, what made me a geek? Probably seeing Dimensions mm-hmm. in Time about three years ago for the first wow. time. I was hooked for life. That's hardcore. <laughs> oh, that was it. Never going back. This world exists? This is for me. No, actually, <laughs> uh, it's not to steal your defining moment, Deb, but it, I think what made me a geek was seeing Star Wars. But, and I stress this, it was seeing Star Wars in 1978. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because... I mean, sure, I was I was five. I was five. It was the perfect age where it like grabbed mm-hmm. me and would not let me go. And, but the the point is that it was in the late seventies when you had no fancy DVD or YouTube. The the concept yeah. of a home video market did not even exist. Mm-hmm. So for all I knew, seeing Star Wars in the uh, theater was the only time that I would ever see it ever. Yeah. Because my dad never took us to see the same movie twice ever. Mm-hmm. So say you're an impressionable potential nerdy kid in 1978. You you see Star Wars in that context, one chance only, and then it was gone. Star Wars left such an amazing impression that I became obsessed with simply trying to remember uh, it to keep mm-hmm. it in my uh, head. And I think that's why I got so obsessed with the merchandise. And the action figures and the books and the uh, bed sh- the bed sheets even I mean because <laughs> it was all this wild insane attempt to try and preserve the movie in my uh, mm-hmm. in my uh, memory and I think that mm-hmm. that the that the fight to to keep it in my memory turned me into a, a geek because I would get uh, obsessive about mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Ben, I bought the very first tie-in novel, Splinter really- in the Mind's Eye. Where before oh. they had determined that Luke and Leia would be brother and sister, it's really oh. creepy because there's a love <laughs> oh, interest no. there. It was the very first Star Wars, and I still have right. it. I still have that oh, book. Oh, that's great! Because that's so great. It's, that's it's, awesome. it was I uh, same thing. I wanted to cap. What's going to happen next? I mean, you knew there was going to mm. be more movies, but you know, you just were. You know, I don't want to leave this world. I want to. I want to live yeah. here now. This is my place. Well, well, but but also, it's it's just like. Yeah, I uh, 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 agree, but I – okay, you still got that book. I've still got some of the packaging and the uh, cards from uh, from uh, the action figures, and I didn't keep it wow. because I was some obsessive five-year-old uh, collector thinking I was going to sell it later. It's 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 because each package had a photo of the character or the uh, mm-hmm. or, or the uh, spaceship. So mm-hmm. I would study them and try to re to remember what the film was uh, was uh, like. So 
it's sort of like because I never conceived of a way that I could ever see Star Wars ever again. It, it was like Star Wars was just this flash in the pan. It came and went, and all I had left were blurry were blurry photos. Mark, it's like Bigfoot. It's like I saw Bigfoot. <laughs> Nobody believes me. All I have is this blurry photo to prove it. And uh... <laughs> Deb, we need to let you in on this. Um, Ben's other obsession, apart from Doctor Who, is is Bigfoot. I mean, <laughs> we're not talking the sort of level where he believes Bigfoot's real. Oh, I don't believe it's uh, real. Well, I don't think so, anyway. No, no. Um, but you you do have quite a, an interest in the the personalities that claim to hunt Bigfoot. Don't I, you? I'll tell you what it is. It, it's it's exactly like Lee was saying with the uh, with his um, son being terrified by the things with big eyes. It's mm-hmm. this big Bigfoot scared me at a certain point in my uh, childhood, mm-hmm. so I it kind of became this fear that I kind of had in my head my entire life. But now that I'm older, I'm cool with it. I'm I'm more fascinated with the people that are into it, and it's like a big soap opera drama. But mm-hmm. uh, but you, hey, you, you know you know what, guys? I I think to to give my my potential baby the true Star Wars experience, I can only show it. Mm-hmm the movie one time and then and then like throw it out because they gotta go through what i went through they gotta get the books and get so the you're gonna toys. make them wait four years or whatever until they get to see empire strikes absolutely <laughs> i i wow. still have my empire strikes back trading cards i bought a lot of bubble gum Ooh. oh really yeah back so, in so did you whatever did you uh, put the See, uh, photo cards in a certain order, try to remember how the movie went? and Well, you know, they had a puzzle on the back, so I was you know, trying to make the puzzle and everything. Okay. And then I had a little box that I kept them in and, you know, would shuffle through and find my favorite Han Solo scenes. And, yeah, you do. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, oh. you, you, you do what you do, you know. That, don't judge. You just reminded me yeah. of another question. Hey, we're not judging. <laughs> I have a uh, uh, friend. Uh, actually, Paul's Paul's uh, wife, uh, Mark. Uh, she mm-hmm. she said that the moment her sort of noticing boys was sort of oh, uh, awakened was when she saw Empire Strikes Back and Han uh, Solo. She she didn't know why she was kind of liking him more, but she kind of did. It, Deb was was Han Solo sort of your first. Crush, you're sort of like, huh? I no. like him. I'm not sure. You know sure who my why, first crush was? But... My first television sort of crush, which probably you know ties along with um, ties along with Star Wars, was I believe Bruce Bruce Boxleitner, who was really? a character in How the West Was Won, which is a miniseries that aired here in the states. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't he in Tron yeah, as well? Yeah, he was in Tron. I think it was Bruce Boxleitner. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember, but he played a character <laughs> who. Uh, was wrongfully ended up getting in a bad situation and was on the lamb. He was on the run and he hides in a barn. It turns out the barn turns out to be owned by the local sheriff and he stumbles upon the local sheriff's daughter. So there's this whole forbidden romance thing going on. Oh. And oh my gosh, I think it, I think it really <laughs> affected how it's probably why I love fan fiction so much because it's mm-hmm. this, it's such mm-hmm. a trope, but I went out and I bought that book just so I could read those passages over and over again. Because Did you start, Start hanging out in barns, hoping to meet the love of yeah, your life. It, it was the classic. They did not like each other, but you could tell that something big was going to happen with yeah. these two characters because they loathed Hanalaya. each other from the yeah. beginning. Yeah, so <laughs> that you know, and I, I distinctly remember that sort of hitting me in my young teenage girl part, saying, "Oh, this is really interesting." <laughs> Uh, so that's yeah. an interesting turn yes. of phrase. That's great. It, hey, it, hey, I think you, it you mentioned something. that book. Mm-hmm. That that book, what was it called? The Splinter. Well, I'm Splinter sorry. in the Mind's Eye. Yes. Yes. Okay. So 
so you read that book before Return of the Jedi when it was yes. suddenly retconned that Leia was Luke's sister. I, I, I read it before Empire Strikes Back. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it came out right after the first movie ended. So then when, whenever this retcon fact in the movie is mentioned that Luke and Leia are brother and sister, were you suddenly like, that isn't right? Or how did you take that? Well, because, you know, Han and Leia obviously belong together. Um, it didn't bother me as much, but it made me not want to touch that book for a long time. Mm, I bet. All of a sudden that book was really creepy because it oh, made wow. so much more sense that they were brother and sister than... Uh-huh. You know, and again, as you as as you know, watching Star Wars as an adult in that first movie in Episode Four, I mean, Luke is a whiny little bitch, and it's <laughs> it makes so much more sense these things you know that you adored as children. No wonder we love this as kids because he was us. He was like you know a teenager, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Dare I use the word Adric? A little bit, just a little. I bit. I, I like Luke better than Adric. Uh, call me blasphemous. Well, that's not yeah. difficult. I mean, but no. we really. Really veered away from parenting, haven't we? <laughs> no, this <laughs> is all we regress to our own childhood. I want to Luke, not Hendrick. So yeah, the one thing that, that you had touched on, that you had touched on earlier, Ben, that our children have, and my children have now, and your children will have even more so, is yes. the accessibility of things. Because when mm. you know, here in the states, I don't know if you mm. remember when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer came on at Christmas. That was a big event. Huge. You would uh, you would uh, cancel meetings. You would yes. make sure you were home. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. now you can watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer every day Whenever of the like. year. And my mm. daughter is now used to DVR technology because we have a DVR. Mm. So you can pause live programming and you can rewind live programming. And it's very confusing to her if we go someplace or stay in a hotel that doesn't have that technology. And she mm. doesn't understand why she just can't get something on demand or why she can't. You know, I, I'm in the mood mm-hmm. to watch uh, whatever show that she's watching. Let me go watch that because I will be able to find it. And when you're not, that's not, technology's not available to you anymore. It sort of shakes their worldview a little bit. Um, and it makes me wonder if if uh, future kids aren't going to appreciate Star Wars the way that people our our age did because which version of star wars because uh, there's like 15 of them now? 70s and 80s yeah. you, you know because yeah. be, because you couldn't just go back and watch it over you right. know and i think i think that's what started the con the uh, conversations between so many people hey that movie was great what do you think this meant when uh when uh, that happened and mm-hmm. now whenever a movie comes out if someone likes it they just kind of watch the movie over and over again they don't really get mm-hmm. into the whole culture of it maybe as much Right, because everything is so accessible and right. available, and yeah. I swear I'm going to show them Star Wars once and throw it out because I want them to <laughs> love it. <laughs> oh, don't make the mistake that I did. Make sure that what, you what? are control of that situation. Oh mm. yeah. Well, oh man, I feel so bad for you because it uh, hurt. Yeah, it really hurt. You have our sympathy. Wow. Hey, I think we reached the part of the the show where I'm going to start asking people for some some recommendations. So it doesn't have to be recommendations for kids it could be anything that you feel would be of interest to our listeners i'm going to set the ball rolling um very recently we had the eurovision song contest which is a (laughs) a pretty big deal over here it's it's kind of crazy and weird and out there um and about this time every year i find the need to go and revisit my father ted box set 
I don't know if you guys had Father Ted in the States. Mm. Have I, I had heard of it. It, 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 it was late it. night okay. PBS stuff. We would get it occasionally. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's written uh, by Graham Linnan, who's quite a well-known comedy writer over here. And uh, it's these three um, Catholic priests living on a place called Craggy Island, which is off the coast of mainland Ireland with their housekeeper. And they get into lots of crazy situations. And there's one particular episode where they end up, because of a feud between Father Ted and another priest on the island, they end up entering for Ireland's song for the Eurovision. <laughs> and, I love the setup um, of this. This is amazing. Oh, my God, yeah. And obviously they've never written a song before in their lives, so they decide they're going to write a song. How hard can it be? So they've got like this Bon Tempe organ and a pretty naff acoustic guitar, and they come up with a song called My Lovely Horse. <laughs> And it's amazing. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I've seen. And I can just keep watching it forever and ever. So, yeah, as soon as Eurovision comes and goes, that's my cue to, to go and dig out that episode and watch it again and then watch a whole bunch more. So uh, I'm going to go to Ben first. What would you like to recommend for us? Ah, uh, what am I really into right now? Uh, honestly, cleaning. <laughs> wow. Cleaning, really, because cause we have a very <laughs> small bedroom that we have designated as going to be the baby's room. And... We mm-hmm. live in a small house, and I've lived here for 10 years, and my uh, good lady wife, she moved in whenever we got married about three years ago. So for 10 years, I've been putting stuff up and storing them in these little hidey, hidey yeah. uh, hole things. And now that I'm having to clean out this room, I'm pulling out all this stuff, and it's like opening the seals on King Tut's tomb. And I want to recommend this to everybody. Start cleaning. Go through your attic. Go through your basement. You will find stuff that you have forgotten and has meant so much to you. I found my freaking Millennium Falcon spaceship in the back corner of something. (laughs) It's sitting here on my desk now. I'm going to hang it up and pry it in place. I forgot that I had it. How could you forget that that you had that? So it's been Christmas all over, and I'm sure if people would just start cleaning, (laughs) they'd find this stuff and make themselves happier. You would probably find your book, Deb, if you were to start Oh, I know where the the book is. I know exactly. She just doesn't want to read it. it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, my 16-year-old is really, really into the Star Trek novels, and he probably oh. has. You know, what era? Uh, all of them. He has read all of them. Interesting. Um, wow. Yeah, Interesting. and either through the library or in his copious collection. Um, and even, you know, he, he picked it up and handed it back to me and said, this is just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> how, does, how does he deal with uh, continuity issues? Because I know in Star, in, Star, in Star Trek, the novels can be very, very heavy with that. Again, he's okay with it. He can just skate along. And, okay. he, you okay. know, he's got a very nice, you know, delineation and had my older son is offended that they're throwing the extended universe out with the new movies. Um, he just he thinks that's wrong. And how dare they do that? There's all these very well developed characters and storylines and plots that have yeah. happened. And, you know, they can't just do that. I'm like, they can do whatever they want. It's alternate <laughs> alternate timelines. Come on. You've been around science fiction long enough. Yeah, to that's it. So. <laughs> it's a parallel universe. So, Deb, do you have something you'd like to recommend? Well, let's for the see. Um, <laughs> What am I really excited about? A couple things. You know, the FA Cup was yesterday. That was very exciting. So Yeah. Um, 
Arsenal scraped yeah, through. Yeah, they did. That was a very exciting game. So now we're at the end of, you know, sort of the end of, of football for a while. But um, mm-hmm. I was... We still have the World Cup. We do still have the World Cup, but that's later. But I'm, I'm excited about uh, Paul Cornell's book coming out next week, Severed Streets. Yes. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, I love London Falling. I love that it had a football sort of mystery at the center of it, which I thought was really fun. Um, mm-hmm. I, am, I am once again into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, I Ooh, gave that yeah. up as bad business after about four episodes in because it was the dullest thing I had ever seen. We had this exact same conversation on the last was, episode with um, Ben's say, podcast God, mate, Dave. Dave was talking about that. Um, yeah. yeah, and I found after the first couple of episodes, I found it deathly dull. It was like uh, But my wife persevered with it. Superhero mm-hmm. version, you know, it was the worst yeah. crime procedural. So, you know, we went to go see uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, which I really, really mm-hmm. enjoyed. And I started watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with episode 17. I skipped all the slodgy mm-hmm. metal and went with episode 17, which it comes right in after the events of uh, the Winter Soldier. And it got mm-hmm. really good again to the point where I'm really excited for season two. So, if anybody has given up, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I would encourage them to come back and start with episode 17. You just forget the whole bit with all the, you know, you can gloss over everything mm-hmm. that happened. You'll pick it up quickly enough. Um, and Yeah, there's a lot of people with the same yeah, opinion. It just, um, it, they really picked up the pace. I hope they can keep it up because anybody that can make a superhero story dull should just really be shot. <laughs> I mean, how can you do that? How can you make it boring? Yeah. It was, you know, agents of the cubicles or something. I don't know. It was just really, really bad. But and aren't they? Didn't they announce a new spin-off from Agents of Shield as did. well? They did. Agent Carter, which mm. I'm really excited yeah. about. So, yeah, you know, Marvel is just doing everything right these days. You know, where where DC mm-hmm. is sort of faltering in sort of how they're presenting their catalog i don't know you have fantastic four where you have you know multiracial siblings you have agent mm-hmm. carter coming in with you know women at the at the head of a superhero franchise like hello take my money if you come up with a black widow movie <laughs> like you will own yeah. my soul you will own my soul um so yeah i'm let's make hey, this yeah, happen Mark, make it happen. Uh, this is reminding me can i give a supplemental rec- recommendation um, sure you can yeah there's a book out there called we denistas uh, Oh, yeah, I've heard of that uh, one. Now you're making blush. Deb, you... you, (laughs) Okay, I need to give some background to this. Um, When the girl who would become my wife and I met, which was about three and a half to four years years ago, uh, we were kind of doing that awkward thing. We were sitting... We were were standing there talking. I think we were on a deck somewhere at somebody's house. We'd met through a a mutual friend. We were kind of standing there. And we we were kind of feeling out to each other, seeing what everyone likes. And she told me that she was really into Buffy the the Vampire Slayer. She was a huge fan of it. And I confessed to her that because for several reasons, I had never actually seen it. It it was always on my radar. But Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I used to play music a a, uh, lot. And we were always practicing and playing. So I just – I never seemed to be home whenever it was. It was on. But it, I swear, this is the only time in my life I was ever smooth. I, I, I'm so proud of this. You know? yeah. <laughs> I was telling her that I was into a show called Doctor Who and that the guy who brought it back, Russell T. Davies, he had said that whenever he was developing it, 
he was paying he was making the character format more in line with how Buffy the Vampire Slayer was as opposed to the classic uh, series. So I was uh, telling her, it w- and, and she had never seen Doctor uh, you, you Know Who. So I mm-hmm. totally did did the whole, well, hey, maybe we should start watching it. So what we did was we kept getting t- together, and we would watch one season of Buffy, and then we would watch one season of Doctor Who, then go back to Buffy, then, then Doctor mm-hmm. Who. And next thing you know, we're married and we're expecting a kid in October. So uh, last Christmas, I gave her weed, weed, Weedonistas uh, in uh, her uh, stocking. She absolutely loves it. She went through it. Uh, thrilled. Absolutely. Thrilled. So thank you, Deb. Thank you. you well, well, thank you. That's you, your, your child is has superior genes already, oh, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, get this. You mentioned that, that you collected all the Buffy figures. Um, mm-hmm. Our uh, mm-hmm. wedding cake topper was Buffy was the Buffy figure from uh, Prophecy Girl mm-hmm. and uh, Christopher Eccle- Eccleston. And because, because that <laughs> nice. was the first doctor that, sh- that she saw. And they both were wearing black leather uh, jackets, and it was, it was perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. That's very cool. Very cool. <laughs> That's very cool. Very cool. Right. Well, uh, we've kind of reached the end now, but I do want to give a little plug to all my various guests. Lee, who's had to disappear to watch Godzilla. <laughs> you can find him on the Blue Box podcast with myself and Simon and J.R. Southall. Uh, he also presents a radio show with Simon uh, called The Phonic Screwdriver, which is a live radio show, which you can listen into on the internet. Or if you're local to Exeter, you can hear it on the FM frequency as well. So you can search that out through Google. Um, ben, yes. you are part of a magnificent triumvirate oh, of wackiness and hijinks that is known as the tower of technobabble yes would you like to give it a little plug tower of technobabble is like season 17 of doctor who only without all the <laughs> with, wow. without all the doctor who references i should point out uh, <laughs> it's just a little pretend radio show we do on uh, the internet we have a good time basically everything that we talked about today we we uh, get into mm-hmm. it's a nerd fest and, Love uh, Nerdfest. You have a psychotic <laughs> robot as well, though. Yes, don't you? we have a uh, announcer who's a robot who doesn't really like us, and uh, that's always mm. fun. He's our most popular character. I think it's more of a love hate. He's our most popular. Well, yeah. Well, I have to plug him in every night, so he, <laughs> you know, relies on me, so he can't get too hateful. So what are you going to do? <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you, Mark. Excellent. So you can you can search that out on iTunes and also through TowerTechnoBabble.com, yes. and of course we cannot. Uh, finish the show without mentioning the Hugo Award nominated Verity podcast. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> blush, I'm blushing again. You guys are just making me blush. Yes, Verity Deb, podcast yeah. at veritypodcast.com. Um, where mm-hmm. there's links to other places on the web that I will be. That's probably the easiest place to sort of track down mm-hmm. all the social media stuff. But yeah, that's um, that's the you know there's other other things happening and other things that we're doing and I'm doing personally. But that's sort of like the 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 big bright star in the sky right now, mm. um, and taking a. It's a unique voice in the world of Doctor Who podcasts, in my opinion. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we do try. I think we bring something a little, you know, a little sassy to the table. But you know, Deb, just... Deb, I love your podcast. I oh, love it. Thank you I so really... much. In, we have... in fact, people, people listening, internet, just turn your head uh, for for just a second. Deb, I used to wish that I was a girl so I could be on your podcast at least once. Oh my God, I love it. 
Oh, maybe one day, maybe ben. One day. and if I was Once a you've real had the man, operation. I could be on the blue box. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> hey, you've been on the blue box before, <laughs> but you weren't there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> that's a make way. Let's get rid of the Deadwood. To get no, the never, never. <laughs> We're going to change the name of this show to We Love Deb's. Oh Absolutely. my gosh, you guys stop, stop. <laughs> Deb, we live two Thank states you guys away, so much. and and we need to get all of our kids together for a uh, play date. So let's make yeah, that happen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, that should, should be easy yeah, to do. You know, hey, in the States, what's a couple thousand miles? It's not Absolutely. Bad. Exactly, exactly. Guys, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. It's been a great, uh, fun episode, and uh, we hope to have you back on the show again sometime thank soon. Thank you so Mark. much. This was Love a lot it. of fun, Mark. Thanks. So thanks to Ben, Deb, and Lee. And before we go, an extra little treat for you. Momo Tempo have a new EP out today as we release this episode. And it's called Conspiracy. You'll be able to find it on iTunes and from other reputable sources. And it precedes the new album, which is due out this summer. If you're familiar with Momo's work, I think you'd be more than happy with the end result. Files a form with the FCO. 145 until a quarter to three. Danica makes a call to the DEC. Midday until 40 ticks past noon. Rachel mails the amnesty rep in Rangoon. Show. 
responded for the BBC. In my files, I know the Susan didn't check in at all. Only Facebook told me she's skydiving into Nepal. Say you won't stay until the whole world's wrong, but I know there's gotta be something else going on. Imagine all the fun you're gonna miss out on. Imagine all the fun you're gonna miss out without me. It's time to know the reason why she's wanting to leave me. Scout up.